This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets, where we look at all the financial news of the past week and work out what it means for you. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and I'm joined by Dan from Shares Magazine. Hello. So this week we're going to be focusing on the latest budget, looking at what was announced in the speech and what it means for you. We'll be joined by Tom Selby, AJ Bell Senior Analyst, who's going to help us pick apart who's going to end up richer and poorer from the budget. Hello. And we're also going to be giving you a little sneak peek behind the scenes of how budgets work for journalists and for PR people. So it's budget special. So really, the key message was Philip Hammond was extremely bullish, declared some very big spending plans. Um, the OBR revised up its economic forecasts. And everyone's starting to debate whether it's all pointing towards a general election. So um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, excitement as usual, really. But um, for the everyday person, actually, there's quite a lot with personal tax um, some changes to ISAs, or perhaps not what we all want to know, mm. um, and also some high rate allowance tax breaks as well. So it's, it's, I'll let Laura kick us off um, as the things that really will apply to the general public. So I think the biggest thing is the change to income tax bans. So the personal allowance, the amount that you can earn tax-free every year, has been increased to £12,500. And the amount before you start paying higher-rate tax, so 40% tax, has been increased to £50,000. So that's a good handout to most people who are earning above the current personal allowance. For those who are lower earners, it will give them about £130 a week. No, £130 a year, £130 a week would be great. <laughs> um, Imagine, what a budget. I know. Uh, and for higher rate taxpayers, it will be um, just over £850 um, handout. So that's a decent amount of money. It was actually, it's a bit of a sneaky one because these changes were going to come in in 2020 anyway. And what Hammond has done is just brought it forward by a year. So it's a good handout, but it's one that we were expecting to get. We're just getting it 12 months earlier. And if you put money into an ISA, uh, not so much good news if you're an adult, but if you're saving into a child's one, there's definitely changes there, aren't there? Yeah, so the junior ISA rate, which is for um, those under the age of 18, um, the amount that you can put into that has increased and it's increased kind of in line with inflation. So it's a small uptick. Um, and other small changes that happened, we saw the CGT allowance, so the amount that you can... Um, making a capital gains before paying tax each year, that went up. Um, and so that was another small increase. It went from around 11,700 to 12,000 uh, pounds. So that was quite good. Um, I think that was most of the kind of tax handouts. Tom, have I missed any? Um, there's one or two other um, bits in there. So there's a confirmation on the lifetime allowance for pensions. Yes, so this is for people who've obviously got very large pension pots. Um, so that's gone up in line with inflation from £1.03 million to £1.055 million pounds so we've got some very I mean that's nice not a catchy number, number is it well the same thing with the junior ISA as well the, the, the junior ISA has gone up to 4,368 pounds I mean I'm a lover of round <laughs> numbers I don't know about you and these these numbers really aren't doing much for me to be honest and um, so one or two little bits that will be useful to people in um in planning for, to save for retirement and save for the kids and things like that I think with inflation back in the economy it is important that these allowances do tick up with inflation because obviously otherwise you're knocking back the ability of people to to save for their children and save for retirement as well. 
And one of the other big changes that I spotted that was um, not in his speech, but in some of the documents that we've all been loving to read over the past few <laughs> days, um, is changes to NSNI. So NSNI is obviously um, backed by the government and has a, a, a target each year for the amount it will fundraise. And that has a direct relation to the attractiveness of the accounts once it's raised that amount of money and people have saved that amount of money with it. It takes down some of those interest rates. So the government's actually increased the target for NSNI, which in a very techie way, could have a good knock-on effect for savers because it means NSNI needs to raise more money, therefore it needs to raise its interest rates to attract more savers in. Um, so I think that could be quite a good one. They're also doing some things around they've reduced the minimum investment that you can make for premium bonds down to £25. They've made it so that other people other than parents and grandparents can gift those premium bonds and they're talking about doing more stuff on, on an app and app-based stuff. So that was some kind of finer detail, slightly geeky, but could be useful for savers i think it's quite interesting because lots of people when they were commenting on the budget were talking about it spend 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 mm. but actually um you know the uk savings rate is near a 60 year low at 4.4 percent and that's the proportion of income that britons choose to save mm. rather than spend and obviously government it's got clear policy <coughs> trying to encourage us to, to save more so actually when you do dig into the nitty-gritty bits of the budget um perhaps it does come out a little bit better for savers than you thought um, but on the flip side, they're talking about reviving the high street, mm. which is one of the key points in the budget. Um, so obviously what they want to encourage is us all to start spending again. So they're talking about lower business rates, um, turning vacant shops into residential homes, improving transport links, refurbishing old buildings, and even setting up a task force to help the high street evolve. I think really what we want is cheaper car parking fees, isn't it? <laughs> well, certainly that's what my parents that, that want. would be your, your one budget manifesto yeah, it? I, I, I think so I mean I, I talked to my my parents about where they live and, and they sort of complain about all all their local high street all it is is charity shops and stuff and my, mm. and my dad is convinced that if you did cut the car parking to to minimal or, or free it would mm. totally transform the world so <laughs> <laughs> so let's just see where that one goes yeah well, I, I think i think you, you are you're, you're able to put submissions into budget stands so i'm not sure yeah. if you, you you put that into hammond or not this time around but maybe next year That'll be the big rabbit out of the hat, a car yeah. park. You could be on to something there, though, because when we talk to property fund managers, so those that buy up property, they're constantly talking about the increased attractiveness of out-of-town retail parks. Partly that's because of the convenience. You've got restaurants, you've got cinemas, and you've got shops there, so it becomes a kind of almost a bit like mm. a day out. But it is also because there's ample parking. It's easy to get to. It's easy to park close to the shops that you want to go to, where town centres maybe aren't quite so much like that. Yeah. I mean, part of this idea of reviving um, the shops in general is also in the budget. There was this attack on um, the so-called fangs, which is the Amazon, mm. Facebook and Google likes. So this is a £400 million tax on search engines, social media platforms and online marketplaces. Really, the government's sort of getting at it. it wants people who are very large and sell lots of products to pay pay the, the tax that they should be perhaps it, implying that they weren't doing so in the past um but i don't know i mean that that seems such a small amount of money uh 400 pound 400 million pound yeah. um sort of target for, for this versus the the income that these very very large businesses make i don't know whether that's going to suddenly stop people saying um you know i'm, I'm going to go back to the traditional high street i'm going to support local businesses they're the good guys yeah um you know the the principle is, is, is in the it's in the right place, but I don't know if it's going to really make a massive, massive yeah, change. I think it's a signal, isn't it? But it's not. I, don't, I, I agree. I don't think four hundred million pounds in the grand 
scheme of government spending is pittance, essentially. And I think the Chancellor said that you need to get global solutions to these kind of problems of uh, some of the online retailers moving their moving their profits elsewhere and perhaps avoiding the tax they want to pay or they should be paying in the UK. I don't think it's something that the UK can do in isolation. No, I think, and I think that's what people have been saying is this is a bit more of a kind of virtue signaling thing because um, the OECD is meant to be coming up with a collective tax on these companies. And I think more what Hammond's saying is if they don't come to a conclusion that we're happy with, then we're willing to go it alone and we're willing by 2020 to do this tax by ourselves. So I think it's probably more of a putting pressure on them to come to a consensus with other countries rather than necessarily this is exactly the policy that we're going to see in the end. I mean, Hammond, it's taken quite, it's taken quite a bold move on collecting taxes I guess that's kind of it's his job really isn't it so uh, trying to collect the money um, the gambling industry is another mm-hmm. one that was the target in the budget uh, they're talking about changing remote gaming tax going from 15% to 21% um, you know that's that's companies that do business in this country but perhaps, perhaps are based overseas um, you know it, it's there to replace the lost tax revenue from changing fixed odd betting terminals where, where the state is going to be cut to £2 um, but in a strange sort of twist of fate, uh, I think a lot of people thought that a shift up to 21% tax is actually a, quite a good outcome, certainly for the industry. Um, there was some fear it was going to go to 25%, which would have a really, you know, have a very negative impact on their earnings. And that's perhaps if you if you saw the stock market reaction of some of the gambling stocks following the budget, it's clear that investors mm. also shared the same view. For example, the day after the budget, shares in William Hill jumped three or four percent, and that really does show um, it's deemed to be positiveness. But actually, you need to sort of take a step back and look at the week before the budget was announced. All those gambling stocks were taking a real mm-hmm. hard hitting. So um, it's quite interesting to see how investors sort of play the budget, what they think is coming out, what, and then what does get announced. So Certainly, what else happened in the in the stock market? You were all over what was happening in the FTSE and how different companies were reacting was there a big reaction in the stock market in the kind of immediate mm, aftermath of the budget not particularly but you do kind of have to look to see what was leaked ahead of the announcement so one of the big things in, in sort of a couple of days before the budget was this talk of a massive spend on infrastructure loads of money on roads and bridges and stuff so actually if you looked at some of the big construction companies like crh costain and balfour Beatty, they actually jumped up on monday but when the announcement, you know, investors had time to digest the actual announcement, so come Tuesday morning, the day after the budget, those shares were actually falling. So it clearly looked like people were sort of trading the event. Um, you know, inevitably this is going to happen. But if these things do lead to higher construction spending and then it feeds through to sort of the suppliers like this, um, there will be investors taking a much longer term look. Actually, the one that sort of stood out from this pack that actually did keep rising after the budget was Kia, um, which is involved in lots of little things. Um, for example, it helps Virgin Media do broadband installations. So that plays into Philip Hammond's push for rural, fast broadband um, and also helps councils fill in potholes. Not very glamorous, but again, it, it sort of links to another one of the policies in the budget, which is to spend even more money filling those holes so those poor old cyclists don't fall over on their way to work. So, 
Um, and did the so they the government obviously announced that they were extending help to buy for another two years, which has obviously had a big impact on house builders. Was there any kind of stock market reaction to that? Because that was slightly expected but hadn't been confirmed I think yeah there's not really the house mills is you know they didn't do much everyone loves to look for a property angle and we are a nation obsessed with property prices and talking about it but uh, for once investors were kind of left sort of twiddling their mm. thumbs on that one I'm afraid um, no but this idea of kind of monitoring what goes on with with stock markets it does remind us that you know the budget is not simply just to do with announcing policies here and there it does have an impact and of course the stock market has an impact on our own lives because that's where our pensions are um, so Tom what was anything really stand out on the pension side well, first of all that's a beautiful segue Dan I really enjoyed that <laughs> um, I've been sat here like a coiled spring waiting for the pensions bit and finally we are here um, so oh, Sorry, that's all we've got time for. <laughs> so the main bit of news from the budget on pensions was the bit that he didn't talk about. So pensions tax relief. Um, so both of you saw the various stories in the past month, two months, suggesting that Philip Hammond was going to go for pension tax relief in various ways. So there was talk of potentially introducing a flat rate of pensions tax relief. So saying that everybody got the same rate of tax relief rather than the system that you've got at the moment where people get tax relief at the marginal rate of income tax. There were, as we got closer, the talk was around a reduction in the annual allowance. So at the moment you can save £40,000 a year into a pension. There was talk of that going to 30000 or even 20000 in the event. There was absolutely nothing on pensions. So nothing in terms of things that people really need to worry about other than the little tweak in the lifetime allowance. And I think the reason for that was probably because uh, Philip Hammond got this big thirteen billion pound windfall because the the OBR's previous estimates on how much tax they were going to get were wrong, and so when you've got thirteen billion pounds of extra money and the NHS needed around twenty billion, then the need to do fundamental and quite controversial things is less pressing. So we didn't get anything on tax relief, which is good. I think it's a bit of um, stability for savers of sorts. Although I don't know what you think, but this kind of merry-go-round that we go through and I've, I've been covering pensions in various roles since about 2009 and every single budget that comes around it's just the same thing over and over again the treasury will float with a national journalist somewhere the idea that they're looking at pensions tax relief there'll then be a rumor mill that starts whirring round and round and uncertainty starts to plague the market savers wonder what they should do ahead of the budget people might rationally might start to pour money into pensions thinking, crikey, are they going to get rid of the tax-free lump sum or are they going to vastly reduce the amount that um, I can put in? And I think the, the main thing that came in this budget was that we really need to move to a system where this kind of uh, rumour and speculation goes away and th there's no easy way to do that. But if, if, if you could have some sort of cross-party consensus to say, you know what, if we'll, let's agree a way of taxing pensions that everyone's happy with that makes sure that people are encouraged to save for retirement, which is obviously really important. And then let's say that's going to be stuck. Let's have that set in sand for five, ten years, however long you're able to do it, and then agree to maybe have reviews at those points in time. But the the unpredictability of the system, I think, is a bit of a nightmare at the moment. Sorry, that was a little bit of a rant um, on pensions tax relief. your soapbox there, but I like it. <laughs> and I'm talking about something that wasn't even announced in the budget, so I think <laughs> I'm taking the mic there slightly. Um, a couple of other bits. So um, we may be hearing more about pension dashboards. And so, so can you explain what the pension dashboard is? It's, well, it's a very weird name. It is so a very weird name and it's no it. longer a pension dashboard. So oh. a subtle change in the wording It's now pension dashboards. And so what the, the government wants to do is create a system whereby people who save for their retirement can see 
all of their pensions in one place, which I think is an idea that most people are on board with. But there's um, one issue has been whether the government would build a central pensions dashboard that everyone can click onto and have a look at, or whether it would be uh, facilitated for providers to do it. So whether if you save with a pension company, they would have the data of all your other pension pots, because one of the big problems in pensions is people build up pension pots from different jobs over time and so they can lose track of them and so if you're able to see them all in one place then that would potentially en encourage people to engage and know what they're doing and potentially save more if they're not saving enough for retirement so a good idea the government says it's going to do it and um, the aim is to do it by um, 2019 which may be a bit of a push but there's loads of issues they need to sort out in terms of ensuring everyone's data is safe and exactly the model that's going to be used so whether there will be any central dashboard or whether it will just be the industry um, delivering the the project so one to keep an eye, eye out for the fact that they've committed five million pounds to it suggests that there's not a huge commitment there, to be honest, in the terms of government spending. Um, I, uh, I tweeted someone earlier, that's the price that Blackburn Rovers played for Chris Sutton back in 1994, which is entirely irrelevant, but I think it just shows <laughs> that this isn't really a lot of money to deliver a big project. But the government's thinking of doing that. One more, uh, cold calling ban. So um, the issue of scams and pension fraud has been um, plaguing uh, the plaguing investors for a long time. These nuisance calls that you get from people offering to to shift your money into some wonder, weird and wonderful investment that's going to make you 10%, 20% a year. It's usually a tree plantation in South America or something like that. Quite often these things turn out not to... Um, not to exist and loads of people have lost their entire pension fund some incredibly sad stories around that so a long time ago go on is, is this more widespread than people think these scams that well it's 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 difficult to put a number on it because one of the issues with scams is um, so the, the numbers that the government have put on it are in the tens of millions the reality is that it's more likely to be in the hundreds of millions because a, the government doesn't record these things particularly well, so there's various different types of scams. For example, people who's, uh, who are encouraged to move their money out of their pension and into an investment, so they may not record that as a pension scam because the money goes out. Um, and there's also the issue of people simply don't report the scams, so there'll be people are either ashamed or they don't know that they've been scammed. And so to get a, 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 a number on exactly the impact on people and how many people have been affected is quite difficult, but it's a significant problem. I think the, I think I suspect the vast majority of people have been targeted by either a call or one of these strange texts that you get at some point or another. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's positive that the government, at last, after a long delay, is looking to do something on pension scams. And I think the important thing in that clampdown isn't necessarily the fact that they're banning cold calling, because frankly, a lot of these people will just flout that ban anyway, or they'll move overseas. But it's a pretty clear message to anyone who's listening to this, um, or anyone who reads about it, if you get a call about that, if you get a text about something something to do with your pension from someone you don't know, then you should ignore the text, hang up the phone, and don't, don't get involved in any of these kind of weird and wonderful offers. So with... Um the idea that when when you're looking at issues that you think might be in the pension, does it frustrate you in your job um, as a PR sort of commentator that you've prepared all these notes and <laughs> nothing actually happens? Because you, you make the point that a lot, you know, that a lot of people are expecting stuff with pensions, mm. so actually there wasn't too much there. But um, it just it might be quite interesting yeah, yeah. to our to our listeners to get some insight into how, how your job works. So it's not done. So so I guess there's there's, there's so I've I've done I don't know fifteen or twenty budgets slash uh, autumn statements when autumn statements were 
tax and spend events um, since I've been in the in the industry. And there's, yeah, when, when certainly when I was a journalist, it was a case of writing lots and lots and lots of stories based on rumor and speculation that's gone on. So you get into a point where so that when something happens, clearly we're in an online based world now, people expect news quickly. So you need to be there and ready to push the button when a story um, comes out. It's very similar in my current role so as I'm you know going out speaking to speaking to the press and coming up with ideas then you see the rumors that are going around and you um, prepare the things that you're going to say based on what you know but I wouldn't say it's frustrating the re- reality is that nobody does know and we shouldn't know because this is government policy and it's decided at the last minute there's no reason why I or anyone else should be briefed on what's going to be in there so I think it's it's a case of I mean sometimes there's 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 difficulties in that something will be perhaps briefed and so you assume it's going to happen and then it doesn't happen but I think it's the job of journalists and 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 people people like people like me to be able to to react to that and actually read the documents and understand what's going on. Yeah, Laura, have you I mean how many how many radio TV shows have you have you had to uh, <laughs> participate in you know in in the hours up to and after the budget? I mean there's clearly a demand for people wanting some sort of guidance about what's going on isn't it yeah exactly and I think ahead of time there was a lot of appetite for predictions of what would happen in it and that one of the one of the slots I did was immediately before the budget so you're kind of going on Crikey. saying your predictions of stuff and then 20 minutes later immediately proven wrong so, <laughs> so it's a it's a weird old word I think you work on what you think are the solid leaks because a lot of this stuff does get leaked to particularly to the national papers and in the weekend before the budget we saw some leaks that definitely turned out to be true um, but obviously some of it is just rumour and speculation but I actually sat down and worked out the other day so between the three of us we've collectively covered 33 years of budgets wow we're old oh my god that is <laughs> speak <laughs> yeah. yourself yeah which is your favourite yeah oh I god think- what a question <laughs> couldn't I mean, miss them <laughs> is that because they're all just as wonderful as each other or Potentially, they all sort of splurge into I one. I think they especially. all blur into one. But wait, you had a really good leak on one budget year, didn't oh, you? I that had, must be I your favourite. a wonderful leak, yeah. The Pension Freedoms Budget, March 2014. Oh, I remember it well. Um, so this was when I was a news editor at a, a trade publication. And um, so obviously this was the year that the big rabbit out of the hat from George Osborne came out, the Pension Freedoms announcement. And so we, um, as, part of those, um, as part of those budget days, we would get a, a panel of experts in to help us react to um, react to what was going on and analyse all the budget documents and all the rest of it, um, and so one of our one of our experts who I won't name, um, but he works for an annuity company, um, was uh, was sat and he was and, and he was sort of doing the usual preparation. There was about half an hour to go until the budget, and his phone went off, and um, he went into uh, he went into a little office around the corner, and he was on the phone for about ten minutes. And um, he came out and he was already a pale looking guy. Bearing in mind what happened to annuity providers after that announcement, he came out and he looked white as a sheet. I mean, I thought he was going to be sick. He looked, And <laughs> so he, he said, Tom, you were going to want to hear this. And so I went and so this is before the statement. And um, so I sat down with him and he'd had a phone call from the Treasury who were doing ring rounds of all the big providers who were going to be affected by this warning them of what was going to come out now frankly what these providers were supposed to do about it when there's you know 30 minutes 45 minutes or something until an announcement's going to yeah, come that out kind that's of going seems to like a pointless heads up totally wreck their share price what can you do there's nothing mm. you can do so i think it was just a courtesy call to tell them that we're going to do this radical reform so uh, i sat down sat down with him and he went through it and i was kind of you know, wiping my eyes going not, not, not crying but just trying to <laughs> try i couldn't believe that this thing was happening it just sounded it it, it sounded it was almost like surreal. 
Um, and so the good thing as a journalist was that we, we were given that, but we were told you can't say anything, so you can't publish anything until George Osborne says no one will need to buy an annuity, his fam- famous line for personal finance mm. um, geeks from that budget. And so we had the story up, written, and we just had to wait for the moment that he said that, and then we press, press publish, and it was out there. And I think it was one of those announcements. I mean, you, you might remember, Dan, someone who's covering the stocks. It took a long time for the stock markets to really understand the, the implications for those reforms because what was said, and then you get the documents coming out, there was quite a lot involved. I think it, I remember looking at, um, looking at share price charts, and it took about 30, 45 minutes before the real dip came yeah, and everyone recognised yeah. what was going on. So that was... That was my long-winded but vaguely interesting uh, budget story and definitely the one that sticks out in my mind the most. Well, I think the first one I can remember reporting on was 2005 and I was at um, very glamorous Teletext. And um, so this is... This <laughs> well, we are is, going uh, back into the bowels yeah, of memories, aren't yeah. we? Memories. This, this, is, this is the days before you... Um, you could send a PDF document of, say, like, you know, of the budget via email. It just wasn't the done thing. So they, uh, they just spat... My editor dispatched me and said, get on the, get on the tube, go down to the Treasury um, and go and sit through the presentation. Oh, wow. And then um, there'll be a box there. Go and grab a, a copy, of, a hard copy of the budget and bring it back they'd hired someone from one of the big accountants to go and trawl through it so I got down there and he said don't don't have a coffee don't be late don't muck about so I sort of got there really early and was waiting outside and I thought oh, I'm far too early they won't let me in uh, I was just casually just sitting there uh, twiddling my thumbs outside and this man with a very large gun um, and a sort of police officer said sort of shout at me what are you doing um, and he actually <laughs> thought I was trying to break into the treasury or something outside um, and I was like please sir I'm only reporting <laughs> and so yeah so I sort this of this taken a Dickens novel turn yeah. <laughs> so I, I sort of went back with my tail between my legs back to the office and said like here go it was a bit traumatic experience but <laughs> um, but thankfully now I, I, you, know, you can get it all sent by email so I don't need to go out into the I real world I can't believe Dan's gazumped my pension freedom story <laughs> <laughs> Far better. <laughs> anyway, I think that probably draws us to a conclusion this week. Thanks so much for listening. Of course, if you've got any comments, tips, or areas you want us to talk about, please do email us at podcast at ajbell.co.uk. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. The podcast talks about various money issues. Just don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. You should also recognise that how an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future and that tax rules apply.